What are you doing this summer? Why not up your ad game by taking a class at Ad House Advertising School? Classes are taught by working ad pros live on Zoom, so you can take them from anywhere. You get 10 weeks of classes for just $799. You'll practice turning briefs into brilliance every week, and you'll meet some new friends along the way, including special A-list guests that can help you break into your dream agency. Ad House students have gotten jobs at some of the top agencies in the world, including Wyden and Kennedy, Mischief, BBDO, and McCann. Classes are first come, first serve. So register today at adhousenyc.com. That's adhousenyc.com. Ad House Advertising School. Classes for ad nerds, taught by ad nerds. Hello, ad nerds, and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm your host, Tom Chrisman. I'm one of the ad nerds behind Ad House Advertising School, and I'm also a strategic creative for hire at TomChrisman.net. Today, you'll hear my conversation with Matt McDonald, who was just promoted to Chief Creative Officer of BBDO New York. I met Matt when I was working for Ty Montague at JWT, but his story started in Peoria, Illinois, where he was the first generation of his family not to work at the Caterpillar factory making tractors. His journey went from the high school speech team to working at a local Peoria ad agency to eventually UT Austin and then New York City, where he arrived just in time for 9-11 and all the havoc it brought to the city. This is a story about adaptation, loving the process, and doing whatever it takes to live your dream, with plenty of practical advice and funny stories along the way. So, without further ado, let's listen in on my conversation with Matt McDonald. What's up? Well, hello, Matt McDonald. What is up, Tom? How are you? Uh, I'm great. And you, you're great. You just became, uh, what, what is your title? Chief Creative Officer? New York. New York. Nice. So and New York is right behind you. You're in the office right now. Out. I'm out in the world. Um, so uh, let's, let's go back. Let's take it back, Matt McDonald, yeah. to uh, your youth, uh, where you grew up and, and uh, what that was like. Um, it, it was interesting. Uh, no, I grew up in Peoria, Illinois, which is kind of like a funny place to grow up because, um, not, there's very few people who are from Peoria and, um, but the, it's a town of like, you know, at the time it was about a town of about a hundred thousand, hundred thousand people really well known for Caterpillar. So Caterpillar headquarters are there. They, they used to make tractors in Peoria. Um, And not so much anymore, oh. but uh, th- I'm like one of the first people in my family to not work for Caterpillar, like going back generations. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so you my- grew up thinking uh, I'm going to work for Caterpillar someday? No. Is that what? Oh, no, you I you knew, knew you were certain that I was not going to work for Caterpillar. And, uh, but my grandfather did, my father did, both grandparents, in fact. Yeah. And I'm sure if you go back to great grandparents, it goes way, way back. Wow. Um, yeah, it was like Scotland, Germany, immigrants, Caterpillar, you know, it's yeah. kind of like how it worked. So I, and I spent like 22 years there. I went to college there. I went to college like across the street from where I was born, like what, where I grew up. What's the college called? It's called Bradley University. Okay. And um, it, it just so happened, like I was good on the speech team in high school. And so right. I, got, I got a scholarship to go do the speech team in college. And it just so happened that I grew up across the street from the college that was the Duke of national championship speech teams. So I got a scholarship to go do that, which was, I mean, that's another story. And, the, and uh, speech, t- tell about what, what is a speech team, just for people who don't know, um, it's like in other countries it, who don't know what a speech team is. Yeah, it's like track and field for the hopelessly unathletic, you know, um, <laughs> like, so a team, like you do a lot of individual events. It's like, uh, there's public speaking, like persuasion, there's comedy events, um, there's informative speaking. 
Then there's also these acting events, like where you do poetry or prose or uh, duet and turp, which is basically like two people like acting out a scene. And you go to these tournaments on the weekends in like in little rounds of six, and uh, you get ranked one through six. And then if you do well, you go to the final, like the semifinals or the finals. Then you go to the national tournaments and you kind of compete like that. And then the team with the most points from the individuals will then win the team championships. So and I was kind of good at that. I was like, that was, I was terrible at sports, but I was good at that. You were good and, at presenting. You were presenting. Yeah, right? it was good. Is that kind of what it is? Or is it rhetoric too, where you have to like make an argument? And yeah, no, made. you really have to like, oh, I did. Okay. Yeah, it was, it's a little, it's in the same world as debate. You know, yeah. but debate is kind of like a, it has its own rules. Like uh, one of the events is impromptu where you're given like a minute and a half to write a seven minute speech. And so I was really good at that. And wow. uh, and then the, there's extemporaneous where you do longer. You have 30 minutes to prepare like another more heavily sourced speech. Yeah. And then um, the like the acting events were also like a really big thing, like the acting and comedy, which were the other things I was really good at. So, um, you know, and like our team at Bradley, we, we won nationals like, you know, year after year after year. So and then I even went and coached it at UT Austin afterwards for a, a couple of years and we won the national championship we were at ut so that was controversial so you are the coach k of uh of, i am of not speech. the coach k i am like the assistant coach k like oh, there okay. are other people who are like the coach k's i was like uh the person who helped out so okay uh, uh and so it was that, a, that, a big deal like it, it had a yeah. big like impact on my career definitely because yeah it seems like it's it teaches you how to uh, will yeah. you talk about what it teaches you that's connected to advertising? You know, it, well, it teaches you to be super competitive, you know, um, mm. it's like, cause it's a really competitive activity and, uh, like, and it, you're, you're at it like every single weekend. So you, you have to, you have to be somewhat de dedicated to do this, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, cause you're giving up and sacrificing your weekends, especially in college, which is tough. Yeah. You know, to, like give up your weekends, basically the whole school year to compete. And it, it really, for me, the whole thing, it taught me how to write because mm -hmm. I had to, um, you know, you wrote speeches, you wrote, and sometimes you wrote these things like on, on the fly, you know, you wrote them yeah. in your, uh, it teaches you how to get up in front of a room and not vomit. And that's always, it's, it's a life skill that I think is kind of something that most people need. Yeah. Uh, it, it, tell, it really taught me to just organize, like how to organize my thoughts and thinking and how to frame an argument and how to frame an idea. And, uh, you know, and then also like, you know, just, just presenting work, you know, like yeah. the, I'm, I'm really good at presenting dialogue. And I think that like, that's because of all this experience, like doing it uh, yeah. in competition. So, you know, actually, you know, there's some, there's a lot of people uh, who came out of this world of competitive speech who have had really good years. like. Jessica, like we competed against Jessica Chastain when I was in college. She was uh, a community college student in uh, California back. Like, I think like she competed, maybe it was like after my senior year. So like our team, like we're in rounds with Jessica Chastain. So she's had a good year. Yeah. Uh, and the new Supreme Court justice is also like a national champion, like a high school national champion in, uh, I think it's an oratory. Kajaji so, Brown Jackson. Yes. Yeah. So right. Justice Jackson is is a speech nerd. Wow. So it's the and there's a lot of there's the threads of these people and where they where they go is pretty interesting. And as a as a kid, were you like, oh, this is going to be useful? Did your parents get you into it? How did you No, I like, I fell into it. I mean, I was kind of it's hard to so was there a girl was, you liked I, who was doing speech? Yeah, you know what? I like I tried the tennis team. Like I, I played tennis as a kid. I tried out for the basketball team because I'm six three. Yeah. I didn't make it. Um, because our you know, the basketball teams in Peoria are really good. Yeah. You know, these are these are the uh like these are hoop dreams level teams. And so I right. was not at that level. Um and I think I took a debate class my freshman year and they, you know, the, they mentioned that I should try out for this team and I just kind of like fell into it and I just, I really enjoyed it. And I like, and you know, it's funny, like when I was in high school, um, 
you know, my father passed away when I was a sophomore in high school. And I think if I hadn't been on the speech team, if I didn't have like some kind of structure, uh, I would have been like a total, like, you know, things would have gone really off the rails pretty quick. Yeah, that is, so, that's, that's devastating to have that happen to you. And yeah, it was, it was, a, it was very sudden too. It was a, like a heart attack. It just kind of happened at Caterpillar, yeah. ironically, um, yeah. one afternoon at work. And like, I really credit the fact that I had to still compete and still like sort of, we, we had the state tournament and like the sectionals that were coming up those like over that time period. And like that, you know, I think it made a big, big difference in my life, you know. Well, and that's a, that's a real from, decision you made to not, to still do that and to, you know, push forward and. and yeah, and, yeah. Because like there, they, there wasn't a whole lot of structure other than that, you know, because right. like the, you know, the family was in kind of disarray. So like that yeah. was like, it became a second family to me, yeah. which, you know, in high school and then in college and beyond. So what did you, what did you major in in college? I was a major in advertising. I was really predictable. Oh, okay. So you totally. knew you knew going into college that you yeah. wanted to. Yeah, I can't in really remember. Yeah, I don't remember exactly how or why. I think I just you know I grew up in the eighties, like you know watching Cliff Freeman spots, you know, yeah. like the Little Caesars, uh, the Wendy's work, and you know, and it was like I thought it was funnier than the stuff that was actually on TV. Right. So I I always loved. Uh, I would, I, when I was like a little, little kid, I would imitate and like do my own like radio ads, which is like hopelessly like lame, but me and my brother would do these like radio ads on a, on a boom box and yeah. take them and they weren't good, but <laughs> they were fun to do. There was something to do. And, uh, so like, I kind of always had this idea that like, you know, creating those things would, would, it was something that I would enjoy. So like and so i i majored in advertising uh at bradley and then um at, well, like, what's it what's advertising major like at bradley like is it is it a big know, major is it a small major is it it's a small major you know yeah. i think i bradley wasn't really a school it's not like the ut ut austin or vcu it wasn't like one of those schools that you go to in order to get a job you know yeah. at, uh or to put your portfolio together it was more like this was like you know feeding the chicago and mm -hmm. st louis advertising agencies with like account people and planners and that sort of thing there mm -hmm. wasn't a whole there wasn't a big focus on creatives so right. i had to sort of make up my own thing and like kind of i didn't have a whole lot of creative direction or creative classes so i didn't really know what i was doing i was basically just kind of putting together some stuff in like like Microsoft print or whatever the, like the software yeah. was at the time. But you knew yeah. to do that. You knew to make a portfolio. Kind of. I, I made sort of a quasi portfolio, like, because it wasn't until I went to UT Austin that I really figured out what I had to do to, to. And that was after you did four years at Bradley. You said, yeah, I'm going to go I, to UT Austin to, to really get my. Well, job. I had a, I actually got a job at an ad agency. So I, I went to Bradley for four years. And then I was dating somebody uh, in, in Peoria. So I decided to stick around Peoria for another year. She was uh, like a year behind me. So uh, I started looking for jobs and I had no, no idea what to do. So I, I basically put together a resume and some examples, like terrible examples of creative work. Um, and I just kind of dropped them off at local advertising agencies. I literally went in the phone book. Uh, rem like, remember the phone book? Yeah. And I just went down and I just, I dropped off a packet at every single one. And I in got a Peoria call. or in, in Chicago? In Peoria, no, in Peoria, in Peoria and East Peoria. Cause, uh, like my, my imagination had not broadened <laughs> to beyond, uh, the central Illinois area. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so I got a call from this place called Moss advertising that was in East Peoria, Illinois. So I couldn't even make the big leagues of Peoria. I had to go East Peoria. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a shop with like seven people and there were three creatives. It would be me, this other guy, uh, and the, the guy who was like also in charge of the studio, who was the studio. And, uh, their specialty was doing local, like, you know, ads for local businesses, like the, the local jewelry shop, the local yeah. bank, uh, lots of car dealerships. And I did that for a year. Like, uh, I did like we and it was i mean there were no rules like the whole thing was completely batshit insane <laughs> like uh 
the you know if you wanted to use a rolling stone song in a television commercial there was no one to stop you because <laughs> no one would see it so like we would do you know we would use like sympathy for the devil like in a car dealership ad because like the deals were going to be so amazing this weekend yeah no one, literally no one would stop you we did a parody of the x-files uh like <laughs> where we pumped a car dealership full of smoke and got these low budget actor Mulder and scully i mean it was we were so, insane so these yeah. are like those i mean you see them on the internet sometimes when when you go like local at like they've become yeah. like a little bit of a, a yeah they were like those you know, oh and and i got a friend like i was so bored at work and i needed like friends around so i i hired this uh like my roommate to be an intern and uh this this guy rob allen who then went on to be an amazing producer at crispin did a lot of their best digital work and you know went up and like uh had a big job at leo for a long time uh but like it was the two of us together like just figuring out what stupid things can we do and get away with yeah and, uh and we got away with so much like yeah. it just it was it was insane and and i also like i remember doing a lot of we did a lot of good radio because like the like we were never going to compete with like real advertising agencies with like television or you know our digital work but radio we could compete and we did yeah we actually won a bunch of awards for our radio stuff um because so that thing you were doing with your brother yeah uh, actually and the boom box like a turned thing. Into... yeah you know um that's cool like, I, it was like a big deal we won like the local peoria addies i was like wow it's you know it's huge um so and that, does that come from your from your speech background and you were just were you like the the young the young kid like coming with the crazy ideas or were yeah. they they, yeah, all they were very much like this like who's this like 21 year old like kid yeah um and the guy who ran the agency his name was bob moss he was a really i mean he was a like kind of like this curmudgeon um but had been like a part of the peoria advertising scene for like 30 years mm -hmm. and uh like i couldn't show up to work on time like work started precisely at 8 30 and i just couldn't like now i wake up at five o'clock in the morning but then it was not a thing and i like he almost fired me because i couldn't get to work on time and so he's like you're not dedicated to this job i'm like i'm dedicated i just it's really early so um but like he kind of had this soft spot because like i was just bringing the like i kept bringing these ideas that he would just look at and shake his head and uh put his pen down and go oh well what the hell and just kind of let me go do whatever i wanted and so oh, it was a so lot of cool. fun and i and i learned a lot too we, i learned how to produce and make the things you know because we didn't turn to production companies we had to do it all ourselves you know so you like, would hire the the director or the somebody with a camera there was you, there was no director like yeah, it was, you it was were like, directing it was us like sort of just kind of directing by the seat of our pants uh and we used like a local video production uh crew like and they came from tv news so right. i mean these were really shoestring operations like uh, i think we had budgets of like a couple grand but that's know? so cool that you were um you were able to present your work to the to the owner of the agency yeah uh and you were able to go out and make stuff that it sounds like it was a really fun gig oh actually. it was fun yeah i mean it was fun and weird and the like but i knew after about a couple like i like i knew from the start that i had to get out like there was like i had no like no plans to stay at this agency for like any longer than i had to you know yeah. and the the dream was to get to new york or san francisco it was between those two places so not chicago you were just like i'm not i'm not no going to chicago i was just because yeah nothing close. against chicago i just right. you know there's a lot of uh you know i was looking to get to one of the coasts and yeah. the like I, I like i started looking at schools like pretty intensely you know um after a few months at this uh advertising agency mm -hmm. and really i came down to i was there were uh i was doing the application for bcu when i got accepted to ut austin and i was like and then i got the acceptance letter i was like well i'm just gonna tear up my application for bcu because austin sounds amazing and yeah um the like and i was like do i want to live in richmond or austin and austin just seemed like a home run so uh yeah. and so i moved to austin and did two years in their portfolio program which was great 
like the working with uh deborah morrison she who's like this legendary professor uh creative professor who's now at oregon uh and that was like real training for for what for what i do and what did you have to what did you have to put together to get into ut austin was there a Another you know, it was like a real graduate, like it's a, it was a real graduate program. So it was a very serious application. Uh, mm. It wasn't like the VCU one, which had to be very creative. It was more like the, you had to take uh, the GRE, you had to do all that stuff. Oh, wow. Um, and I had to do a very academic essay um, because like my professors at Bradley were like, no, it's got to be very serious and dry. I'm like, okay. Uh, but somehow it worked, uh, even though I didn't have the greatest grades in college, uh, the, because I was competing every single weekend. Yeah. Um, but I still managed to get in and like, man, what a great time to go to Austin. It was 1999, mm-hmm. uh, in-state tuition was like $3,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I became a graduate assistant, like I got in-state tuition, like, I feel like I'm maybe one of the last people to get those amazing, like, you know, UT Austin is just a phenomenal, phenomenal school and a phenomenal yeah. university. And like, I paid like three to $4,000 a year for just a world-class education. That's great. And, you know, and I got to take classes. I got to take this writing course, which was just a life-changing writing class in another department, in the uh, rhetoric department. And that also taught you know, it was, it was very focused on editing. And so it taught you how to, not just how to write, but how to edit other people's writing. It was like the best creative director class that never, yeah. never, that no, like no one, did, well, everyone at the university had heard about it. There's like mm-hmm. intense competition to get into this class. Uh, but it was just amazing. Like all the skills I picked up, just, you know, editing other people's work, you know, yeah. and other people's writing get better really teaches you uh, how to, how to make other people's creative ideas get better. So, right, that's great. And so a couple of years at, at Austin, which were mm-hmm. phenomenal, it was just so much fun. Um, and, you know, and just, I was really lucky that I was able to pay for it, you know, that I didn't have to go broke doing it. Right, you didn't have to go into debt. Yeah, I mean, I did go into debt, but um, it, like it was managed That much debt, and, yeah. Yeah, and so like, I really feel for like the, just it's so much harder now. For people like it's just the i feel like i was just extraordinarily lucky to to you know graduate like when i did and and go to school and then from ut did did you get to one of the coasts at that point is that when you started thinking like the we had the most phenomenal class too that year at the university of texas uh there were the wixoms chris and elisa wixom Mm -hmm. ben uh ben james um the just like so many people who who like who went on to do really really great work yeah um all in this one like sort of graduating class oh wow so that like you got contacts you got that's the other thing you get out of going to a school yeah um and being there with them is like you get that like you get launched yeah this this network of people who also went to that program so the and so this was like 2001 when I graduated and like, and it was a really, 2001 was a weird, it ended up being a very weird year for yeah. everyone. But um, summer of 2001, I was basically flipping a coin between San Francisco and New York because I didn't have a job and yeah. uh, it came up New York. So I packed everything up um, and I moved to New York with someone I was dating. And she had gotten into a law school in New York. And so we like we got to New York. We moved to Astoria, Queens, like three weeks before 9-11. And and I'm not making a word of the story. Did you you have a job? No, no job. I had no job and no money. I I had like three thousand dollars in the bank. And like that was supposed to last me until I got a job. And I had a car that I had a car payment on and a U-Haul. And it was like and because the U-Haul like rented a very small U-Haul van to take all my shit and to tow the car, but they didn't have that one. So in Texas, they gave us like a semi truck. I was like, I, do, I don't want this. And they're like, this is all we have. So I had to drive a semi, basically this massive semi with no experience driving something of that size with a trailer towing my car oh my God. from Austin to New York City. And through and then, the tunnel. 
through the tunnel before GPS and then um, with map quest directions yeah. printed out. Yeah. And it like it was just the most emotionally taxing experience of my life. And then finally we uh, we got to New York, we got to Astoria. And I, I don't know if you've been to Astoria, but all the intersections are the same fucking number. Yeah. So we lived at the intersection of 30th Avenue and 30th Road and 30th Place. Mm-hmm. And which just like that was the first thing that pissed me off. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this this place makes no sense. Yeah. Um, and we moved to a place without air conditioning in the summer, uh, at the top like of a third floor walk up. Yeah. And my friend Jeff, who I went to grad school with, Jeff Bluen, actually helped me and my then girlfriend like move all of our stuff to the third story. And yeah. like I just couldn't believe how amazingly generous that was. Yeah. And so we moved all our stuff in. And then that night we're like, I was like, should we unpack the car? And I'm like, no, like leave the car. We'll, we'll unpack it tomorrow. And so, because uh, we were exhausted, it was like, you know, August in 2001, yeah. it was like super hot. Uh, so I go out the next morning and uh, we go out to the car and the car is gone. Like the, there's someone else in the spot and there's just a bunch of broken glass on the ground. Oh. This is my second day in New York. Uh, so this, and the, the, the bad part about that was, is that in the car was my portfolio and every piece of clothing I owned other than oh. one t-shirt, like a pair of jeans and a t-shirt that said Brooklyn. And, uh, and I was in Queens. Oh my. So, yeah. No, no joke. And so lost everything. And, um, I was like, well, and I was actually kind of secretly like excited because I didn't know how I was going to make the car payment that next month. And I'm like, well, that's gone. So I got the car payment taken care of, but I have no portfolio and I have no, uh, I, I've Clothes. got no, no clothing to wear. Yeah. Um, but it all turned out okay. I had renter's insurance and for some reason the renter's insurance policy wow. from Texas carried over. And so I'm like, think, knock on, get insurance people. Yeah, get um, insurance. Yeah, and then when they found the car, like four or five months later, it was like in some burned out section of Queens, and uh, everything was gone. Everything was stripped down to like just wire. Like everything was gone, and they had left three ads for my book, like three shitty ads that maybe they looked at and they're like, "Oh, this is good. That's no good. That's that's expected." I've seen that one before. So they fucking left like three ads and and then probably shopped around and got a much better job than I ended up getting. Um, so somewhere in New York City or in the world, someone is yes. like has gotten a job in, a, in an entire career based on my uh, grad school portfolio. Yeah. So like my car is stolen, have no clothing, uh, have no book. And everyone's calling me. They're like, are you going to leave? And I'm like, I can't. I don't have a way to get anywhere else. So I guess I'm sticking this out. So I started applying, you know, and I had been talking to Shyatt, like, and uh, I was, I was there. I was there when, you? when yeah. that was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, and that was going okay. Like, and then all of a sudden 9-11 happened and they're like, we don't know what's, what's going to happen. No. Yeah. It was a, it was a, a horrible time to be in New York, but also kind of an amazing time to be in New York. Like the, you know, I'll never forget like what the city felt like before and after, like, especially yeah. as a new person, the, you know, like before it felt very cold and harsh, a place that will beat you up and steal your car and your portfolio yeah. and all your clothing. Yeah. And then like September 12th, it was just the, you know, everyone was really united and, um, yeah. you know, and the, it, it just was a completely different experience. So, mm -hmm. so anyway, like I, but I had to find a job. So yeah. I, had to, I, I still had to pay rent uh, and I had to buy clothing. So, uh, and, and print out new copies of my book. So I ended up working as like an admissions counselor at a for-profit uh, college. And I did that for about six months. And wow. before I finally got like, maybe it was like five months before I finally got a job at an agency. Uh, and it was like one of those things where, you know, um, I would like sort of interview students about being uh, students at this for-profit college, but really it was like, come on, kid, just give me your $200 application fee. And you know, <laughs> 
not serious. Like it was such a, like it was a racket. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is so like, you know, yeah. this, I felt awful doing yeah. it. Yeah. You know, but I had to eat. Um, right. Had to just had to eat. And then, yeah. you know, after six months, it would still like kept going and interviewing everywhere. Right. Like everywhere where I could get in. Um, where were the where were the places that you that you met with and the where did you biggest, want to go? Like I wanted to go anywhere, just literally anyone who would have me in the door. And mm -hmm. I even remember I had so I happened when I was at UT, I won like Keith Reinhardt, like the legendary Keith Reinhardt from DDB. Yeah. Came down to Austin to give like a talk and he gave out like his awards to his favorite like student work that he saw. And me and a friend of mine named Ajit, uh, we had done this commercial for some memory enhancing drug. And it, it was just the stupidest thing. It was, again, just another like, you know, what can we get away with? It yeah. was basically just like some guy looking, you know, looking for the body he had disposed. And um, the, like we just filmed it in an afternoon as a joke. Uh, but we did it on a DV cam and like Keith really liked it. He thought it was really funny. It was um, like, it was just a guy walking around Austin looking for all the places he dumped a body. Yeah. Uh, that, that was the big reveal, by the way. That was the big ta-da was that he was looking for a body. Yeah. Uh, not just some, I, I just gave away. I, I did a bad job of presenting that idea. <laughs> so Anyway, so Keith gave us this award and Ajit and I were like, well, that's amazing. Like we should get in touch with Keith Reinhardt in New York and see if he can get us, get us a job. Yeah. And so he found some time for us. And so we all, you know, and I was also clueless, you know, like I'm like wearing the nicest clothes. Now you don't dress up for a creative interview, but right. um, I didn't know that, you know, like I, I, put, on, coat. I put on my newest, nicest sweater and, oh, uh, nice. you know, cause all I had um the one of the two things i owned and so ajit and, I, and ajit flew up from austin to to meet with keith and we had a really you know we met in his great big giant office yeah um and the you know it was very dark it felt very like 80s like 80s advertising yeah um and you know so we talked for a while he said i really enjoyed that commercial you made blah 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 and uh then he's like, well, let's go down and see the creative manager and we'll see if we have any jobs. And so Keith marched. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds promising. Yeah. The, so we're like, wow, then this is it. And then he, we walked down to the floor where the creative manager was and the guy, the manager goes, Keith, we don't have anything. <laughs> like it was like, his response was like, are you crazy? Like yeah. this is like, you know, maybe like a month after 9-11 or something. And it's like, we don't have shit. Yeah. Um, so he's like, oh, I'm really sorry, boys. Uh, so he gave me, he gave me like a, a suitcase, like a little like tote bag that had DDB embroidered on it. And with all these books about Birnbach. Uh, and then oh. so we walked away pretty, pretty dejected from that. Um, I also had a really weird quasi interview with Sat Saturday Night Live, which was bizarre. And it, I thought it was an inter interview to be a writer, but really I was just meeting Lauren Michaels assistant and, uh, she was kind of like the gatekeeper. Yeah. And, uh, I had shared and, and I got this interview through someone that I knew at UT Austin who somehow was connected to her and. Uh, it was really, it was like, I got to sit in Lauren Michaels office, you oh, know, wow. and, and sort of like share some of my writing. And she was very nice and very polite, gave me tickets to the show that weekend, and then was obviously never going to call me again. You know, right. it's like, yeah, because yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't come out of the feeder programs at Harvard. So, right, right. Yeah. Um, but still I thought, well, okay. So anything's possible in New York, you know? Yeah. That's pretty cool though. You get to, yeah, like, it, was. It, it feels it was very, very glamorous. It was very glamorous and, um, uh, you know, but nothing really came of it, but it's a cool story. Yeah. Um, so, you so know, you're still, you're still shopping around. You're still shopping schlepping, around. You're still working at the for-profit college. Working at the for-profit college. And I think it was like maybe like six months after I got to New York that I, uh, landed an interview at Bates, uh, Bates worldwide, which was, uh, -huh. uh I think it was formerly known as backer spiel local Bates. Yeah. Um, and they were famous for, they had Hyundai and Wendy's and CVS. And they had like a bunch of uh, 
like gum brands. And so they, they had like a pretty decent roster of clients. Mm-hmm. And I was hired to work on T. Rowe Price, which oh, was- Oh, you got the job. I did, yeah. Well, so I almost didn't get the job because like, I think I dressed too formally and uh, the creative director, this guy, Rob Slossberg, who's still working and so- oh, yeah. Like he thought, he thought I was too, he's like, you're really serious, aren't you? And I'm like, I'm not really that serious. Um, like, I just don't know how to dress for these fucking interviews. Like <laughs> nobody teaches you, nobody teaches you that. Like you can go to all the schools in the world and nobody teaches you what to wear at an what interview. What would you have worn? What would you, what would be different? 19, I wore the same, oh, what, in 2000, now I, uh, I would wear like a shirt and pants. Now I'd wear sweatpants. Um, <laughs> You know, it's like I'm sort of now you're interviewing for different kinds of jobs. So, but like yeah. so you'd wear something nice, but yeah. like not, but not trying too hard, you right. know? Yeah. Fashionable, but not trying too hard, looking casual, yeah. you know? But also yeah. not looking like a slob. I just didn't know, like, my first years in New York, well, I'd say my first decade in New York was like me being a person who didn't know how to fit in just about anywhere, you know? Yeah um like where you know like the like you'd go to parties like somehow you'd get into like a fashion party and i'm like i what this is i don't i'm i'm from peoria illinois like when are they gonna when are they gonna call it out and say him uh no he's (laughs) him out of here um take him take him out back yeah so there was a lot of that and um but anyway so yeah i got this job at bates uh working on t Rowe price and the you know and then it was under uh nate goodson and is like in izzy levine who and nate was a ut austin grad so i think oh, okay. it was basically that connection through ut austin that sort of landed me uh the position you know so uh again another amazing stroke of fortune you know yeah and I did that for- you Were know, you excited but, about that job or were you like, excited, it's a job yeah. in advertising? I was actually thrilled. You yeah. know, I was thrilled, A, to get a job in advertising. You know, yeah. that was like, that felt like something I'd been working for for so long. So just to have a job in New York, uh, yeah. I got a pay cut. That was the other thing. That was the amazing thing. So uh, I was paid more as an admissions counselor at the for-profit college. Yeah. Uh, I had to take a- $3,500 pay cut to, to be a junior copywriter at Bates. Yeah. And I remember pushing back just ever so slightly. I was just like, are you sure you can't just match what I'm making now? And they're like, no, absolutely not. And I was like, wow, $3,000, like, yeah. like $3,000 is really going to make the diff, you know? Yeah. Even now I'm just kind of like scratching my head. Like really, was it, was it really going to make the difference? But yeah, it's like $75 a week or something. Exactly. Right. The math totally. in my head. Uh, <laughs> um, so, but no, it was good. Like, so I, I started on Tiro price and I had to like write some pretty complicated financial copy type stuff, but I, I, I started getting cracks at other briefs in the agency. And like, this is something I tell like younger creatives a lot. It's like, you have the day job you're hired for, but you want to also put in the extra hours on the other briefs that you yeah. can take a crack at. And so you gotta you're gonna be working really hard in the mm-hmm. early part of your career working really late hours and and do that do that mm-hmm. you know before you have a ton of responsibilities that mean that that make it harder later yeah. on and you know uh you have to moonlight at your own job which sounds weird but like the you know that really does make it possible for you to to branch out and do other things even at an agency that may not be the most creative so you know, because I got, you start to be seen by the other creative directors yeah, as like a get go-getter. Known. Yeah, exactly. That's how you get known, you know? And in those days, you would like sit around a table and share your work with like everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the creative director would hear like the work, like as it's being pitched by team and team, like in every, every agency is different, but that's kind of how it worked at Bates. Yeah. And that's how I sort of made, like I made, was able to get a crack at these things. It's like when you would that's come up where with stuff that was way different than in any of the other teams were doing. Sorry to cut you off. That was your speech uh, thing coming back too, right? Your presentation, yeah. your, yeah. your like, cause, cause so many young people when they're presenting their work they're not 
confident. They yeah. don't know how to, they don't know how to present it. They don't know how to like totally. act it out. They just kind of like, they go, Oh, it'll be something like, uh. exactly. And, and that was like, something you gotta, I was good at. Like I was yeah. like a nerd who knew how to sort of present scripts really well. Yeah. It made a huge difference in my ability to sell them, you know, yes. to sell them to the creative director, to sell them to the clients and to get them made. And to the point, it's funny because when this announcement happened last week, um, a planner that I had worked with uh, at Jay Walter, a guy named Steve Walls, um, we had, yeah. like when I first got there, uh, when Ty and Rose took over, it was right around the time when I got to Jay Walter, Yeah, um, we did a pitch for Old Navy. And the, like, I remember like the, in those days, it was just high pressure and everyone would go into a room and present their ideas. And like, I was like sort of like going in with the script in front of this huge room of like the whole agency. And I had written a musical that was like, I had this whole campaign uh, uh, that was like just all like these little musicals uh, with the tagline, welcome to the show, which was like a tagline I loved, but I was like, you know, it was in like, I, I wrote a little musical about a new girl going to high school for the first time. And yeah. she was a new girl in school. And I sang this song and they like fell in love with it. And all of a sudden I had one of the, three three leading campaigns going into the pitch and uh and then somehow as life happens in an advertising agency the they overthought it and overthought it and overthought it and then destroyed it by the time it got to the final meeting sure. but then steve, steve walls like wrote on my like wrote to me on facebook or linkedin or somewhere he said like i still remember you singing in that conference room and and knowing that if we had just put you in front of the client to sing that that spot, we would have won that thing. And I was like, yeah. that's, you know, that's, it was really, it's nice. It was such a sweet thing to read. You know, I remember like, Steve, he's a very smart guy. Really uh, smart guy. And uh, really, really smart yeah, guy. I liked working with him too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So between Bates and JWT, where, what, what, what happened? That's a funny story too. So not funny. Like, um, so as soon as I get to, to Bates, Bates starts falling apart like very like one by one it started with wendy's like wendy's was one of their their biggest clients like maybe their second biggest client yeah. and like famously the account the head account person on wendy's took the account and walked it out the door like basically walked it over to i think it was to mccann or something so like one weekend you know we have the wendy's account the next day it's gone and uh, so that was a big account. Hyundai was uh, a huge global Bates client, and uh, that was walking out the door. Wow! And so they, they I think they, they were pitching it uh, when I got there, and like ultimately, like they lost that pitch, and so that went out the door. And one by one, all these like, and then once Hyundai and Wendy's left, the agency was really having a hard time. Like sort of like one by one, clients. Yeah. Were out the door because like when you start losing things like that like you there's serious questions about your ability to survive as a company so yeah and it be i just remember like it was turmoil like the like it you felt like the whole thing was falling apart but the really solid accounts were t row price and uh a lot of the um the Pfizer stuff, like Pfizer consumer healthcare, which included like a whole bunch of like dentine ice and you know like right. like and so I got the, I, I was told that I was on the list to be let go, but somehow this group, I had been doing a lot of work for them and they, they really liked it. So somehow I held on to my job. And then Martin Sorrell kind of swooped in and bought all of Cordian. Cordian was the holding company. So he bought all of it. And like in the matter of like a couple months, we were merged with JWT, like Jay Walter. Oh. So I didn't even interview. I just like, I, you know, I you was were just. Yeah. It was at Bates for like, I can't even tell you, it was not a long time. Yeah. Or all of a sudden, then I was shipped over across town to, to work at Jay Walter. So like all of a sudden I had this other new job and now I'm at Jay Walter. And that was when like, and, and Jay, it was a really, it was an exciting time at JWT. Like when I got there, it was this really kind of big institutional, like sort of old school agency. And then they they kind of brought in right Rose Ryan and Ty Montague like almost within like 
the first month I was there. So you and, were there and they had the doors and they had like, it was like a, yeah. Cause I had, I had heard it was like a law office before that. It was like, there were oh, closed but it doors. Was most, it was weird. It was weird. Yeah, yeah. It was like, it was like a, every agency though, back then was kind of like that, you yeah. know, like, I remember going to visit my friends at Y and R uh, and yeah. like roaming the halls at DDB. And it was like Ogilvy just it was the same way. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like these warrants and you would have no idea like where you you could get lost in mm -hmm. these buildings. And um, everyone had an office like I, I was a junior copywriter, but I had my own office um, with a door with a door. And it was I didn't have a window, but I had a door. So that was cool. Yeah. Um, and then there was this amazing art collection too. And you would walk around and there was a Marth Mark Rothko on the sixth floor as you walked in and like all of it's collecting dust because no one had dusted the place. There was a Picasso in a random conference room, uh, on one of the floors. And, and also they had like 10 floors, you know, yeah. like 10 yeah. floors in midtown Manhattan, which like just as unheard of these days, you know? Yeah when everyone's kind of reduced down to like, you know, uh, much smaller footprints. Yeah. And so this amazing art collection, um, just, you know, in, in every single office, everywhere you turn, and it was just this remarkable place, but it felt like it had been like, you felt every year of the 50 years that they had been in these, in these offices, it was dusty and strange. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of great brands like i got to like you know immediately start working on um what was the gin like i, I immediately started working on smirnoff mm -hmm. and uh i got to work on what's the gin why am i tanqueray tanqueray yeah tanker yeah. like another diageo brand mm -hmm. tanqueray smirnoff um like all sorts of stuff like just had so many cracks got to work on pitches and got to like sort of, you know, and we, it was a really competitive time with a lot of the younger creatives that, yeah. that were in the department that were all just sort of competing for like getting the best work and, and getting, um, getting stuff done. And I was very much in the world of Pfizer too. So did stuff for Visine and stuff like that. So yeah, but I was just, I was all about like, I, like any brief I could get my hands on, I was, I was all about it. So and, and then Rose and Ty came in and yeah. the whole place changed. They they changed it physically. Yeah. Were you were you nervous? Like new new management coming in? You're like, uh oh. No, I just I remember yeah. like being really like because I knew Ty before. Oh, and, okay. Uh, Rose was already there. Rose was oh, okay. uh, president when I came in, and then when Ty came in, uh, I would I remembered I remember like presenting to him at the ad council. Like, cause I, we worked on some stay in school stuff uh, yeah. at Bates. and it was like the first, my first really like good piece of creative. And, um, I, I remember him from that and he made an impression and everyone knew that he was at Wyden. So it was kind of a big get. That he yeah. Was this is Ty Montague. Of course we're, yeah. we're talking about Ty Montague and, and Rosemary Ryan. Yeah. Um, who then went on to found co. Um, yep. And the, like, I remember reading it in the press, like, you know, how agencies are terrible at sort of communicating sometimes. It was announced in the press before anyone had announced it internally. So <laughs> it was on ad age. And so and then all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, we have a new boss, um, which was, you know, that's just how it rolled. You know, it was just yeah. So you just, what, what's your advice to, to people in ad agencies that are getting new bosses? Just keep doing your job. You know, I think that's one of the things that's always kind of like a lot of it's tough for people because you always feel like you have to prove yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but in a way, they sort of have to prove themselves to you, too. You know, yeah. they have to, you know, it's sort of I, I just think that just if you continue to do your best work and you believe in your work, then everything's going to work out just fine. You know, yeah. Um, the and I, and I think the days I hope this I hope this is true. but. Um, at least I see it from where I sit, like the days of like really kind of abusive creative directors and like sort of people who treat you like shit um, or rule by fear. I, I think that's kind of moved on as well. A lot yeah. of those people have been drum like those, you know, it, people don't tolerate that anymore. No one should. But there was definitely a lot of that when I was coming up. You yeah, know, it was definitely you had people who were just kind of mercurial or uh temperamental or just you know just it was kind of like allowed and yeah. i'm encouraged but allowed 
Right. And um, I'm glad that I'm glad that those days are behind us, you know, because I don't think that there's any room for that. Like my whole thing when it comes to creativity is that people need to feel safe. Yeah. They absolutely need to feel safe. Yeah. And uh, you need to feel like you're part of a group and a team and that you're protected so that you can share like these stupid things because it's all it's so intimate. It's like, you know, even now when I'm putting an idea on a piece of paper, like when I, like I'd share ideas with Greg or Lubars or stuff like that, mm -hmm. or even people on my own team, I'm always like, oh, man, I hope they like it. Yeah. You know? Like, I hope they think it's good. Uh, and if they don't like something, you're like, oh, you know, like that's but that that's part of the, the thing. It's just part of the business. Yeah. And um, you have to feel like you're in a, an environment that fosters that and encourages it and that you're not going to get punished uh, just because somebody doesn't have like doesn't think that that's necessarily the right solution. Yeah. For a problem, you know, yeah. um, and that's a big that's a huge difference now in the industry from where it was when I entered it. You know, right. that, uh, people really did. People were could be really abusive to each other. Yeah. And, um, you know, all within the guise of being, you know, we're, we're, we're one big happy agency, but like people could be just true assholes. Yeah. Yeah. You know? When they say, the, I mean, BBDO famously, the work, the work, the work, a lot of times yeah. like they forget, like BBDO wasn't like that, I don't think, but they forget the people sometimes, agencies. Well, BBDO like, had a reputation that's... before Lubars for sure. Yes. And, right. Um, before Lubars came in, like Lubar, David talks about it quite a bit, like about how much work he had to do to like rid the agency of these people who were so abusive and so yeah. like who were just i guess and i don't know i don't know their names i don't know there are no <laughs> stories that linger i know their I'm names sure you, i'm sure you do i'm sure you do like uh but and, yeah i was there when yeah. he came in uh and it was i always felt like i was lucky because i was working for jerry graff and that oh. that group was yeah. uh kind of protected from everything else because nobody could poach you and be like, you know, Hey, I want you to work on this thing. And then suddenly you're, you're stuck away. But um, yeah, there were, there's been stories, many stories of, of yeah. misogyny and, and, uh, and just, just assholes. And, yeah. and I feel like we're the age of assholes is, is over. I hope. I don't think um, nobody has time for them. Like it's the, yeah. the and it, I mean, it's just an awful way to work and it doesn't make the work better. No, it, it doesn't. I don't think it makes the work better at all. It just makes, it makes people feel awful about going to work and awful about like, you know, it, it's not that you're working harder when you're scared. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. The, and and the, David, no David Lubars felt like he wasn't scared and he wasn't. Oh yeah. He, he was, uh, he was the kind of guy where you could come into his office and you'd sit around just kind of, you know, shooting the shit yeah. and, and he just treated you like a human being first. And then he'd be like, all right, what do you got? And then maybe, you know, you pitch him stuff and he's like, I hate it, you know, but yeah. it was in a way that was like, you know, it's not that, all right. you'll have more. You'll yeah, have exactly. More. He's yeah, like, I there's more where that came from. I hate it. I don't hate you. That's a yeah, big yeah. difference because yep. like, you know, sometimes you work with people who are judging your work and it's like, oh, yeah. now, I hate you. And I hate the idea that you think you can do this. Like, or they don't even see you. They just kind of yeah. like, I've had, I've literally have had clients and creative directors who don't even like you present work and they don't even talk to you. They just turn to like somebody else in the room yeah. and they go like, that's crap, you know? And yeah. then you're oh, sort yeah. of, you're asked to leave. <laughs> I remember like having to do, we did some tagline thing at some point and uh, one of the creative directors just drew a pile of shit on my list of lines and i was like well shit uh i guess those lines were i thought some of those lines were good some of those lines were good too um yeah. so that person was wrong and they shall yeah. remain nameless yeah but um you know i think when i first started at bbdo it was like the and you know the after i left jwt and came here yeah there was a big i felt the difference in terms of like BBD, I felt like this is a professionally managed organization, you know, and like the spirit <laughs> and the vibe was so different to, than what I had used to. And I like, you know, and I worked at places that kind of was ruled with a little bit of fear, like fear of the client or fear of, you know, um, fear that somebody was going to be a bad mood, just fear, 
which yeah. just kind of like is the worst possible emotion when it comes to creativity and making oh, work. Yeah. And then as soon as I got here, I inherited this great big giant project for AT&T. And it was just like this big, like, and it was not, it was a problematic shoot. They had not really figured out what the scripts were, but they had um, no Murrow attached. He was directing them and he was yelling and screaming. He was like, where are the scripts? Where is, like, it was just bizarre. Yeah. Anyway, so I, um, I brought in Matt Vescovo to help. And so, you know, Maddie and I like sort of, we kind of triaged this whole campaign. And it was a music again, the freaking musicals, but it, like you and your idea, musicals, man. I didn't, I didn't come up with it. It was like an idea that I think the, that Lubars had actually personally sold to at and It was a whole campaign based on Karen Carpenter, the Carpenter's sing. And it was about machines and people sort of singing to each other. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we shot the spots, got the cuts together. Everything looked really good. And then they went to the CEO of AT&T and um, the CEO was like, great they look really good except i hate the carpenters and um we're like okay and uh so like i i remember the phone call i was like walking through the office and david calls me like, hey um so funny thing uh randall hates the carpenters so we have to uh we have to change the song and i'm like but this but there are people singing the song on camera on camera yeah He's like, yeah i know it's fucked up uh you'll figure it out <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. That was the extent of the conversation. It was like, that's advertising. Up, you'll figure it out, which is kind of, it goes back to like my favorite, you know, sort of my mantra is it's not your fault, but it is your problem. Yeah. And I love that spirit. It's not your fault. It's not your mm -hmm. fault. This is happening, but it's definitely yeah. your problem to figure out and to solve. Yeah. And I love that David had the confidence that we were going to do it and that we were going to figure out and we we're going to solve it and get to something that, um everyone could be happy with so which we That's, did by substituting a beach boy song that went ba 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 instead of la 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 which allowed us to set to save about 40 percent of the footage that's amazing yeah she had to find the the perfect but yeah i i think like creativity when we think of creativity and advertising we think oh it's just me coming up with ideas by myself and and then or with my partner and then we're selling them and then and then they're done. And then I, we go on a shoot. But a lot of creativity in advertising and in everywhere really is taking those like moments where everything could just completely explode yeah. and not giving into the urge to be like, well, this is fucked up, you know, Walk fuck them, you know, no. fuck them. They can't no. do that to us, you know, and just kind of saying like, okay, that's, that's, this is reality. Yeah. And having that attitude of like, I know it's crazy, but you'll figure it out. You know, you have to love the process. I think yeah. I, I pull that from Wayne Best because I think he, he said it really well. He said, you have to love the process or else you're going to be really unhappy. Yes. You know? And you have to be, you know, some of the best work I've been associated with came very close to, to death or changed significantly between first presentation to where it ended up. But yep ended up in a really good place. Yeah. You know? So like creativity is also adaptation. It's not ideas don't show up fully formed, like fully dressed, ready to go out into the world. You know, most of the time they're naked, bleeding and sort of these half half formed creatures that you have yeah. to like slowly but steadily nurse into health. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's so what is uh what what do you what do you want to accomplish in the next six months here at, at BBDO. What are your, what are your goals? What are your, well, our goal is, I mean, and I've said this publicly, like our goal is to be the, the most creative uh, office of the most creative network in the world. That's very specific. And um, the New York has been that before it's been, been that very recently. Um, and like, it's, we want to get it back to that. I yeah. think we're like, we, uh, I, I'm really excited about our chances, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm excited yeah. about Luis Sanchez, who's also come in as the CCO of North America. Yep. He's phenomenal and comes from Allmap and I think has won more Lions than the person who invented Lions. Um, <laughs> and he's just a lovely guy. He's just like a really down-to-earth, uh, funny, just like really happy guy. He loves working in advertising. Just loves yeah. Yeah. Eats, breathes, and like loves that. And he's an I ad love nerd. Yeah, you know, and like, but, you know, like, I think that like, he's not, there's no cynicism 
you know? And like, I think working in this industry, especially like if you've been in it years and years and years, you can get a little cynical. And I think that that can be poisonous. Yeah. And you have to remove that and fight that and remain like optimistic. Like I always say, like it helps to be a goldfish in this, like in this industry that like approach each day, remembering nothing that happened yesterday because uh, yeah. that'll, that'll help. And like, I think that he, he, his spirit and his excitement is like, it's infectious. And yeah. I think it's already starting to take root. Um, there's, that's you know, cool. and like, so that's the goal. And so we're going to do everything we can to get there as soon as possible. It takes time. You know, you have to start in brief by brief and, you know, and really looking for the opportunities, like it's sort of figuring out, like, how can we do this and how can we do this together? And the other big thing that's a huge goal of mine is to get BBDO working together uh, in a way that maybe it hasn't always worked together. Like when we are at our best, like, and I've, I've seen this, like I've, I've led huge pitches for AT&T, had another huge pitch with Home Depot and so on. And like when we really work together and have our best people in a room getting something done, there's just no, you can't stop. You can't yeah. stop. At BBDO, people like you can go. You, I've worked here for eight years, and there's you know, you cannot meet people that you who are your colleagues that you've like worked next to for eight years because people are heads down doing the job on the brands that you know that they yeah. take care of. That is something I really would like to shake up a little bit and yeah. to, to like sort of have more cross pollination of people, cross pollination of talent, and and to have people like because we have some of the best brands in the world. We have some of the best, the best talent in the world. I don't want to hoard it. You know, yeah. I don't want to hoard it on any one thing. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's good for creative people to have different opportunities to try different things and to have more of that flexibility and, and to sort of have people, you know, split people up and have them work with other people that they may not be used to. Yeah. Like the more that you get into that habit, the more you challenge the kind of work you do. I mean, I did it myself. I had to challenge myself in the last couple of years, you know, to get out of the stuff that I had been doing day in, day out. Like, you know, I, I ran AT&T for BBDO and for Omnicom for years. Mm -hmm. I really had to get out of that and to break that mold because uh, I, I just needed a different challenge, you know, yeah. to really challenge me creatively, to challenge me professionally. Uh, and doing that, I think, was like the best thing I could have done for myself and for yeah. just mental health and for my work and yeah. i think a little bit of that is really good um yeah. so yeah the, the good news is like i think there's a lot that's great about bbdo so it's about just capitalizing that and making it greater yeah uh, but i think that one one of the big things i'm looking forward to doing is just you know making you know making people feel like they're coming to work and it's something new yes. you know it's not the same thing that you've been doing days in days out making the office a place that you want to go to versus something mm -hmm. that you have to go to. Right. Yeah. Great. That's one thing. There's others. I, I love that. Uh, how can people uh, reach you or see the work or uh, where would you like people to go if they want to, if they want to sort of. Uh... I mean, well, the, you can always check out our social, like BBDO social. We've got stuff everywhere, TikTok and Twitter and stuff. I'm, I'm fairly active on Twitter. I'm yeah. trying to be more active on Twitter. It's hard. Like I've had COVID for the last seven days. So yeah, I was a little quiet. Um, but the, you know, I'm on Twitter and I'll be sharing our work. Like, Are you at, at Matt McDonald or? I'm at Matt McDonald. Yeah. It's wow. pretty easy. Like what you, yeah, I, I managed it. I was one of the first people on Twitter somehow. Like, I think you can find out what your Twitter number is. And I'm like, oh, you can? Yeah. It's That's deep cool. in the settings. And I think I was like one of the first 100,000. Um, yeah, it's crazy. So that's cool, uh, but still no blue check. So Matt, someday, someday, uh, Matt McDonald at, at Twitter and, uh, go to BBDO.com, right? To, yeah, to BBDO, you can look at the world and the old, yeah. the old timey, uh, internet. Exactly. Uh, cool. Uh, yeah. and, and I loved working there and I, I love, uh, David and I love you. And I feel like, you know, that you can tell a lot about a place by the, uh, by the leadership. And I feel like you're, you're on your way to, uh, it's a to good, having a, having a good year. It's, you know, the having, you know, you know, like agencies and you talk to people, it's, 
that my love for this place and my respect for this place um, has just grown and grown over the years, yeah. not just here in New York, but globally. You know, um, I got I was really lucky to go to London a couple of weeks ago where I picked up COVID. Yeah, but I also got, got, got yeah, where I got where you got that where you got that new variant. Where I got the new, about. that sexy new variant. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, that Glad we're not doing this in person. DNA squared, whatever it is. Um, but I also got to spend time uh, with uh, Nick and Nadia, who are the new CCOs of AMV London. Um, Nadia and I spent some time talking. And, you know, it's, there's kind of like this, uh, a little bit of like a new guard coming in and taking over. But really, but people who have the deep, the deepest and the most utmost respect for what has come before and the people who yeah. came before, like they're just massive shoes, like Greg Hahn. Yeah. Um, you know, Alex Grieve, who was the CCO of AMB before, all the way back to David Abbott. Yeah. You know, and David like like just these phenomenal people. And you you have to approach this job the way that I'm thinking about it is that you have to approach this job with with a lot of respect for the people who came before, but you have to do it in your own way. Yeah. You know, because like the way you ran an agency five years ago is not the way that you run an agency now. Yeah. And it's not gonna be the way that you run an agency five years from now. Like, yeah. and the last time I had this job, I was a very different person and, and it was a very different time. And like, I'm very excited about this opportunity at this place, you know? Yeah. And like, as David said, the don't fuck it up. So I'm <laughs> going to try real hard not to fuck it up. He gave you that speech. Well, yeah. that's great. And I think you're going to do great. I don't think you're I appreciate fuck it. it up. Uh, yeah. It'll be fun. It'll be fun to watch. And, uh, and, you know, you know, everybody listening should should think about uh, BBDO as a place where uh, they would want to work because it's it is really a great agency and still yeah, it's is. good people. It's really good people. And, you know, uh, and the work is great, too. So, yeah, Matt McDonald is good people. BBDO New York is in good hands. The thing that resonates for me is uh, the advice he attributes to Wayne Best. You got to love the process and find ways to be creative in the ways that you solve the problems along the way. Because there's always problems along the way. This has been The A-List, sponsored by Ad House Advertising School, where summer Zoom classes will be starting the week of June 13th. You get 10 weeks for just $799. Classes fill up fast, and it's first come, first serve, so register early at adhousenyc.com. I'm Tom Chrisman. You can find me at tomchrisman.net, and on most social platforms as Mongo Industries. Thanks for listening, and as always, thanks to Ross Hotman at Duotone Audio for the music. And I'll see you next time.